I want to welcome you to the Power Hour. It is in this moment that we get to listen to the Word of God so that we can take it and make use of it in our lives. That means whether you are a member of this church, a guest, a family member, a friend, a stranger, somebody who stumbled into here by mistake, you are in the right place for the right thing. And I pray that God will bless you as we study together. If you're just joining us, we are going through a series in the month of uh, February. Uh, instead of talking about love, I decided to talk about stranger things because there's nothing stranger than love. Love doesn't make sense. All those who are in love say amen. No, you're not in love. That's fine. That's okay. That's okay. We'll, we'll work on that. We'll work on that. What I'm doing this month is because the year started off on a very interesting note, floods, global viruses, people dying, so much chaos right at the beginning. And so I decided that with this theme, we would realize that there's nothing new about such unfortunate, uncertain, unplanned for events. And today's story will be a demonstration of that. Uh, today's message is entitled, Heaven's Irony. Heaven's Irony. Does anybody know what the word irony means? Anybody know what the word irony means? I didn't think so. I had time to look it up. I had time to look it up. So I'm going to give you examples of what irony is. By the way, the universal symbol for irony is a question mark facing the other direction. That's in case you're wondering, what, what, what is that question mark facing the wrong direction? That is the symbol for irony. Now, there are a number of definitions because there's situational irony, there's dramatic irony, there's action irony. This is not an English exam, so I'm going to stick to the simple one, okay? Irony is an outcome of events contrary to what was or might have been expected. Do you understand? Let me give you an example. Lowe's is a warehouse or a, a company that helps people improve their homes. But if you look up on the screen, what do you notice about their building? The paint is dripping down. But their business is to help you improve your house. What about this one? An, aer an aeroplane pilot who's afraid of heights. Why would you become a pilot if you're afraid of heights? No? Let's try another one. I got like a thousand of these. So at some point you better say amen. It's like a police station being robbed and the person gets away with it. That's irony. A fire station being burned down. Who helps them if they burn down? That's ironic. Irony is a marriage counselor who's been divorced five times. Irony is a police officer who gets his license revoked for unpaid parking tickets. That's irony. For those who are conservationists, you Generation Z and Millennials, humans are the only creatures who will cut down trees, turn them into paper, and then write on them, stop cutting down trees. Because that's how we roll. I saw a sign online that said, we are committed to excellence. Does anybody see a problem with that sentence? That is not the spelling of excellence. Obviously, no excellence over there. Do you understand what the word irony means? No one said it. Let me give you another thousand examples. I heard you. I just want them to say some. Today I'm going to be preaching about the Tower of Babel. 
The story about the Tower of Babel is found in Genesis chapter 11. The interesting thing about this story, as I'm going to read the passage, is the things that are happening in chapter 11 actually happened in chapter 10. But for some reason, Moses decided to extract this strange story and isolate it by itself from the genealogy of the three sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Why do I say that this story doesn't belong? Go to your Bible right now. Go to your Bible. Here's another irony. People come to worship, but they don't bring their Bibles. Go to Genesis chapter 10. Go to Genesis chapter 10. Look at verse number 29 or verse number 30. Irony, the pastor doesn't know the text. In chapter 10, verse 30 or 29, you'll correct me later, it says, this is the account of the sons of Shem uh, about the, the tribes and their languages. Is that what it says? Anybody got the text? Anybody got it? Jonathan, you got, you, got, you got Genesis chapter 10, verse 30? You know, not, not, not yet? Swipe, scroll, first book of the Bible, chapter 11. You got it. What, what does it say? Verse, verse 30. Verse 29 or 30. One of them. That talks about Shem. Which one is it? There you go. These are the descendants of Shem identified by clan and language. So in chapter 10, the languages have already been divided. But what Moses does is he takes this interesting story out of chapter 10 and makes it chapter 11 because there's a point. And so today we are in Genesis chapter 11, verse number 1 to verse number 9. Go to your Bibles. We will read that text together. Before I read the passage, let me explain something about where the story falls in so that you get the context of what I'm about to say. The story of the tower comes between the flood and the calling of Abraham. It's very significant, and you'll see why in a moment. Genesis chapter 6, the Bible says that God looked on man and he saw that he was committing evil continually. His thinking was evil continually. And God decided, I cannot let this keep going. And so a global flood uh, hit the earth, according to the Bible, wiped out all civilization except for eight people, Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wives, and they were saved. Out of that generation came a group of people we're going to talk about right now, and after that is the account of Abraham. Now let's go to our Bibles. If you want to hear more about Abraham, I believe that Pastor Henry is going to preach about him this afternoon. I will not be talking about Abraham. I'll be talking about the Tower of Babel. Genesis chapter 11, verse number 1. If you're there, say, read on, preacher. I'll give you time to go there. Genesis chapter 11, verse number 1. If you are there, say, read on, preacher. All right, if you insist, I will read. At one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words. Pause. Wouldn't that be awesome if we all spoke the same language? Which language would that be? Hebrew? English? Mandarin? Which one? Everybody's speaking a language they belong to. Okay. As the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia and settled there. If you read the, New, the King James, it tells you that is the land of Shinar. They began saying to each other, let's make bricks and harden them with fire. 
In this region, bricks were used instead of stone, and tar was used for mortar. This is innovation. No longer are they just using bricks, uh, uh, stones to build, but they're actually making bricks to build a city. That's technological advancement right there. Then they said, come, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous, the King James says, this will give us a name. And keep us from being scattered all over the world. But the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower that the people were building. Look, he said, the people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down and confuse the people with different languages, then they won't be able to understand each other. Has anybody discovered irony in that text? That God doesn't like unity? Mm -hmm. In that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world and they stopped building the city. That is why the city was called Babel, because that is where the Lord confused the people with different languages. One of the interesting things I've discovered reading the Bible, there are a lot of seemingly ironic accounts. For example, Revelation chapter 12 verse 7, the Bible says, and there was war in heaven. Of all the places for war to take place, the last place you would think would be heaven. But it happened. Another irony I see is in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, we have the account of Adam and Eve. What is it that Adam and Eve, the test they failed? What was the test? What was the test? There's a test right now. What was the test? Eating fruit. The irony is God planted a garden with many fruit. The temptation was a fruit. And they fell for that. Another irony is the story of Absalom. Absalom loved himself so much that he kept all his hair. He had so much hair on his head that the Bible doesn't tell us the color. It tells us the weight of his hair. But we are told that Absalom hung by his hair in the trees. That's irony. I can keep picking different stories. There's so much irony in the Bible that things happen that shouldn't happen. Let's get into the text this morning. The Bible says at one time all the people of the world spoke the same language. Now if the, if the text had stopped at language, it would be easy to understand. Oh, they just spoke Hebrew or whatever Semitic language then. But it goes on to say, and used the same words. Language is one thing, using the same words is another. It suggests that not only did they speak the same phonetic language, not only were the, the words that came out of the, their mouths similar, but their thinking was also the same. Now remember, the flood has decimated the world. God has told Noah that the flood will never ever happen again. Fire next time. And so he tells them the same thing he said to Adam and Eve, he says to them, multiply and replenish the earth. So scatter, go to different parts of the world and populate it and take charge of it. That was God's instruction. But the Bible says they spoke the same language and had the same words. What did they use their words for? 
Verse number two, the Bible says, And the people migrated to the east. They found a plain in the land of Babylonia and settled there. God's instruction was scatter. They decided to settle. God said, multiply and go around. They said, no, we want to stay here. God said, scatter. They decided to gather. Is there anything wrong with that? Is there anything wrong with getting together as human beings? After all, we are the most intelligent species on this blue ball floating through space, at least in our solar system. We are the most intelligent being on the planet. What's so wrong with us being united? What's wrong with us packing each other in this little tiny room and saying amen every time the pastor tells us to? What's wrong with that? What's wrong with people getting together and just having a good time? The Bible says, God said scatter. They said, no, we will gather. There is a point in time when scattering is better than gathering. There is a time when God says, enough of being in the same place. It's time to go out and do something else. It's time to take my name, my image, and fill the whole earth. But the humans being said, no, 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 we want to settle. Let's talk about settling. Settling is getting less than what you deserve. Settling is getting less than what God intended for you. Settling is doing the things that devalue your life and not add value to it. You don't get it? Here's a statement I want you to work with. I call it an irony statement. The minute you settle for less than you deserve, you get less than you settled for. Anybody in a relationship understands this. Anybody looking for a job understands this. Anybody who's not healthy understands this. If you settle for eating hamburgers and fries and pizza and ice cream, you are going to get less than that. It tastes good, but you're going to be sick. I am testifying right now. Working out is difficult, but it's settling for more, not less. Amen, somebody, or at least Pastor Henry. They settled for less. God said, the whole world is yours. They said, no, 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 we are good right here. Not only did they settle, the Bible tells us that they began to build a city. Now, obviously, in our generation, we don't seem to think that cities are an evil concept. But from a biblical perspective, the moment people gathered into one location and built walls and isolated themselves, a lot of things happened inside. That's why in the Old Testament... Dozens of cities are destroyed, whether it's Babylon, whether it's Sodom, whether it's Gomorrah, whether it's Damascus, whether it's Moab, all these cities, Nineveh, all these cities are threatened because the moment human beings, Carlo, get together in one place, we don't share good ideas, we share bad ideas. We start to condone things that are bad because we've excluded God out of it. The walls were meant to keep him out. They began saying to each other, same words. They began to say to each other, let's make bricks and harden them with fire. Come, let's build a great city for ourselves. Let's build a city for ourselves. Let's build a city, not for God, for, for ourselves. Let, let, let me get into a business. Let me get into a job. Let me get into a relationship. It's, it's not for God. We'll stand before God. We'll ask the pastor to bless it, but it doesn't belong to him. It belongs to us. 
So they built a city. Uh, see, everybody always focuses on the tower, the Tower of Babel, the Tower of Babel, the Tower of Babel, but we forget about the city. They built the city, they put the tower inside. Not only did they build a tower, the intention, the intention was for that tower to be so high it would reach the sky. Right now, the tallest building in the world is... Let me get this right. You don't know Noah's son's names. You, you can't find the book of Genesis and you don't know the tallest building in the world. What do you know? The Burj Khalifa. It stands at 830 meters or for the non-metric uh, people, it is 2.7 feet. 2,700 feet long. That's the tallest building right now. It has not reached the sky at all. It's just below a kilometer high. These people wanted to build a tower that would reach the sky. What was the intention? God said no more flood. They built a tower to escape what God said wasn't coming. Here's what happens when you exclude God from your life. When you exclude God from your plans, when you exclude God from the things that you're doing, when you decide to live your life the way you want without him, you will operate from a place of paranoia and fear. God said there will never be another flood. But they said, no, 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 no. We don't trust you. We want to build a tower. So what that tells me, my brothers and sisters, is rather than repent, they wanted a way to keep living how they wanted and they wanted to have an escape route. So that when the flood came, everybody would run into the city, up into the tower and survive a flood that God would send. Let us make us a name. The New Living Translation says, let us become famous. But this is the KJV. Let us make ourselves a name. I, I, I love the original because what they're saying is, if you study the Bible as you should, whenever God changes a man, what does he do after? What does he do after? He changes their name. Abram became Abraham. Sarai became Sarah. And so on and so on. The name change describes the person's relationship with God. Because a name speaks about ownership. Not today. Today we look at movie characters and cartoon characters and we call each other those names. You look at your kid and say, ha, ah, you look like Dennis the Menace. We'll call you Dennis. But in those days, the names were connected to character and the events in the life of the believer. So when these people say, let us make ourselves a name, what they're saying is, the name that God gave us is not enough. We need our own name. We want to be independent of God. We want to live our lives how we want. We don't want rules. We don't want regulations. Pastor, when you preach, don't talk to us about the bad things we're doing. Just tell us that God loves us. We want a name for ourselves. So they build a city, they start building a tower, and then they say to themselves, we want our own personal name. A personal name suggests a different religion from the one God gave. Let me put it this way. A change of name means a change of authority. God created the concept of religion, meaning, be clear, 
meaning the way they should worship him, why they should worship him. The way God did it was he came from heaven and he came down. That's why the Bible says that God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. God came down from heaven to where man was and delivered to him the Sabbath, marriage, and all the commandments and said, this is how you must live. In response, this generation said, no, we'll create our own religion down here and we'll build a tower so that you can accept our version of what you believe. Hence the concept of Babylon in the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, Babylon represents false worship. The world says, God, your version of religion is inconvenient. Don't tell us what day to worship. Don't tell us how to worship. We'll do it how we want. And when you talk to people about what the Bible says, they say to you, Pastor, to God, it doesn't matter. You do what you want. I do what I want. As long as we do it in Jesus' name, God recognizes it. Apparently not. Another irony. They wanted to be safe from the true God and his will so they could create the type of God they really wanted. They didn't want him. They wanted some other version. So they're protecting themselves from a God that loves them. They are more afraid of a flood than they are of the love of God. They would rather work harder than work smarter. What does that mean? If they just obeyed, they would not have had to make bricks. They would not have had to build cities. They would not have had to build a tower. All they had to do was worship him in spirit and in truth without working too hard. The Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. In other words, being a sinner is hard. You have to lie, you have to cheat, you have to steal, you have to avoid people, you have to avoid places, you have to keep your phone close to you, you can't do anything. But if you're honest, your phone can sit anywhere in the house. Amen, somebody. You can give your spouse the phone and go take a shower and not be stressed out. But we'd rather build towers. But the Lord came down. See, here's the thing about God. God is gracious. Amen, somebody. I like to whisper the amens these days because somebody said, Pastor, don't force us to say amen. So, amen. But the Lord came down. The human beings were united, but God came down. God didn't come down because they were worshiping him. God came down because they were departing from him. The Bible says God came down and he looked at the city and he looked at the tower. He looked at the city and he looked at the tower. He didn't look at the people. He looked at what they were doing. Why is the tower significant and why is the wall significant? It is significant because of what it represents. Okay. Look, he said, the people are united. If he had stopped there, we'd end the sermon and praise God. But that's not all he said. He said the people are united and they all speak the same language. And then God says something that should be positive, but is negative. God says... There's nothing that will be impossible for them because they're united and because they speak the same language. What is the world trying to do today? What is the world trying to do today? United Nations, European Union, South Asian, whatever organizations you have, whatever you, uh, African United organizations they have, what's humanity trying to do today? Which we're trying to unite, right? There's, there's this tug of war between English and Mandarin. 
Which language will be the main one? Which currency will be the main one? You would think that's a good thing. But what just happened in Europe? What happened in Europe? What happened in Europe? Okay, so we don't know about Noah's sons. We, we don't know the tallest building in the world. And we don't know what's happening in Europe. Are you telling me that social media doesn't talk about Europe? Somebody said it. I am loving this side today, by the way. The minority is... I'm, I'm kidding. I love everybody. Amen. So, Brexit, right? Britain, the, the, the monarchy, the iron monarchy that ruled the world for so many generations is stepping out of a united idea. What's the problem? We're not going to talk about that. This is not a political forum. God didn't stop them from building the tower. Please listen. God did not stop them from building the tower because he thought they would succeed at reaching heaven. For a long time as a Christian, I always thought that God was afraid. God was afraid that if they kept building, this thing would reach up to heaven. And then I realized that the distance between the earth and the sun is about 280 million miles. So that's not what God was afraid of. God is not afraid about what you built. Please listen to me. God is not afraid about how much money you have. People like to say, oh, God is keeping me poor because if I get rich, I'll be too powerful for him. God is keeping me miserable because whatever. Listen, God doesn't care how much money you have. God doesn't care the family you come from. God doesn't even care about your race. He doesn't care about your tribe. What he cares about is your car, your house, your tribe, your money, your name won't keep you out of heaven. Amen. He stopped them building because he would... Listen to this. This is crazy. He stopped them building because they would have succeeded at repeating the flood generation. If God had allowed them to build, they would have isolated themselves and repeated the mistakes of the past. They would have become as corrupt as the antediluvian generation. That means the post-pre-flood uh, generation. Because when Genesis chapter 6, the Bible says God looked at them. Verse number 5 and 6. He, the spirit of God could no longer stand the people. It is scary when the Spirit of God no longer wants to dwell with us anymore. You do realize that in the flood generation, they were worshiping. You do understand that, right? They were going to church. They, they had worship services. They, they were sacrificing animals. But the Bible says that God didn't care about it anymore. Be careful that your worship doesn't become a tower that excludes God. Amen, somebody. He stopped them building because they would succeed at repeating the flood generation. That's why God stopped them. How did God stop them? Come, let's go down. You, you, you know it's serious when God needs company. You know it's serious when the entire Godhead is involved in the problem. They've united, let us unite. The last thing you want is God united against you. Because a minority with God is a majority any day. Humanity got together, built a tower, built a city, or at least had started. God comes down, he realizes if they keep building, they're going to mess things up. And so the Bible says, God, God didn't send fire to destroy the tower. God didn't send fire to destroy the walls. All he needed to do was confuse the languages. What if God had just destroyed the tower and the walls? Would that have solved the problem? No. You know why? Because a flood didn't do it. 
A flood couldn't change them. Immediately after coming out of the boat, Noah decided, whoo, I survived the flood, let me get drunk. That's how he celebrated being free. And then his son laughed at him. That's how human beings are. Strange creatures. Let's go down, let's confuse the people with different languages, then they won't be able to understand each other. In case you thought language came from people experimenting with words and slang, oh no, it was God who did it. Why did God confuse the language? So that in that way, the people would scatter. What was God's original plan? Talk to me. What was God's original plan? Look at my hands. To scatter. What you don't do by willingly following the will of God, you will have to follow through the inconveniences that happen in your life. Let me be honest with you right now as a preacher. Some of the bad stuff that happens in your life is not because of the devil. It is because of God. Amen. In that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world and they stopped building the city. They stopped building because when the dude who had a brick in his hand was asked a question by somebody, he said to him, please pass me some brick. He, he heard, please pass me the truffle. And so he gave him a tool. And guys, I didn't ask for a tool. What did you say about my wife? And they got confused. And so everybody that spoke the same language got together, went in a different direction. Everybody who spoke Bahasa went in that direction. Everybody who spoke, uh, Pastor, what do you speak in your language? In your country. What he just said. They went in their direction. English. Whatever. They all scattered. Because what you don't do. By following God's will. Will happen through the inconveniences of life. What you don't do in the times of peace. God will do in the times of war. Uh, here's the irony. Here's the irony. They created order. That would lead to chaos. Because when we get together without God. We begin to legislate through government things that are against the will of God. We start doing things that destroy the fabric of human nature. you got the younger generation fighting for the trees, but the older generation is cutting them down. you got young people saying, let's love each other, whatever race we are, but the older people are saying, marry your own tribe. Slow down, pastor. Slow down. Husa. The irony from God's perspective is that he created chaos to make room for order. Whatever chaos is happening in your life, it could be because of the choices that you've made. And God looked at your situation and he saw a million ways it could go. And then he decided the only way for me to help this person is for them to lose their job. Then you go on your knees and you say, Lord, I am your son. How can you let this happen to me? I am a servant of the cross. And God is like, mm, 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 mm. The world creates order so that they can do a lot of chaos because history has proven that when human beings get together, nothing good comes out of it. Hitler proved it. Stalin proved it. Napoleon Bonaparte proved it. Many of the dictators in the world have proven that when human beings have too much access to power, nothing good comes out of it. So let's go back where we started. So in the beginning, we said that the Tower of Babel happened after the flood. What happened in chapter 12 is that God called Abraham. Does anybody remember where Abraham got called out of? Pastor, I promise this is the only thing I'm going to touch on. Where did God call Abraham out of? I think we need to start doing Bible study. Where you like Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 and then we spend like a month just right there. God called Abraham out of the land of the Chaldeans. 
The land of the Chaldeans is exactly in the area where Babylon is. So out of the chaos, God didn't call a whole nation, he called one man. Because sometimes that's all God needs, he needs one person, just one. Just, just you. you. You can be the source of order in your family. You can be the source of order where you work. Your prayer life, your spirituality can be the reason that things turn around. God said to Abraham, I will bring out a nation from you. Not like those folk over there that built a city. No, I want you to know that you are a pilgrim. So Abraham kept moving around because God didn't want him to settle. The moment Abraham settled in Egypt, guess what happened? He got himself a side chick called Hagar. And so God created chaos in Babylon and then he called out Abraham. Because God will always come through for you. Even though he makes you lose the job. Even though your health goes, goes helter-skelter and your life just gets confused. When you come back to him, God will begin to bring order. God will begin to bring order. God will begin to bring order. Uh, you guys are, yeah. Verse 9 says, this is why the city was called Babel. Now, to be clear with you, a, a lot of people will say, oh, Babel means confusion. That was not the original meaning of the word. Babel meant gate of God. It became confusion because of what happened after. Babel meant the gate of God. There's another story in the Bible where we see a connection between heaven and earth and the gate of God. And that is also in the book of Genesis in the story of Jacob. Jacob has a dream. He's running from home. Why? Because he created chaos. His mother and him conspired for him to steal the birthright. And so Jacob is running for his life because his brother wants to kill him. The red dude. And so he's now in the plains of Bethel. Sound familiar? Babylon is built in the plain of Shinar. Jacob is in the plain of Bethel. He has a dream. In the dream, he sees a staircase or a ladder, whatever it is, and angels are going up and down. God speaks to him. And then Jacob wakes up, and this is what Jacob says. Surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. So the, 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 the Babylonians were building a city so that they could go up into heaven. Jacob recognizes that God has access to heaven. So it matters how you get there. It's better to go God's way than your way. It's better to go God's way than your way. Your way doesn't account for Yahweh's way. Remix. Okay. Jacob heard the voice of God. The builders could not only hear each other. Jacob heard God speak. Those people did not hear God speak because they were so focused on understanding each other. Let me press pause for a moment. My brothers and sisters, unity is a good thing. Amen, somebody. Unity is a beautiful thing. But if that unity comes at the cost of not hearing what God is saying, it's not the kind of unity you need. That kind of unity will create chaos that extends beyond your imagination. Because when we focus on, oh, let's find out how we can get along. Let's find out where we can find common points. Or let's ignore the bad stuff. Let's focus on the, the beautiful things about each other. That's awesome. But do it with Jesus. Whether it's your marriage, 
your business, your health, your friendships, the church of God, do it according to God's will. Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, Jesus comes in because Christ was about chaos. People say that the God of the New Testament is more loving than the God of the Old Testament. But listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, don't imagine that I have come to bring peace on earth. I came, to bring, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. What does that mean? What does that mean? Are you confused? Babel? Are you confused right now? Yeah, he, he, here's how it works. It's not that Jesus came to create chaos. It's not that he came to cause problems. It's not that he purposefully wanted people to not be at peace. Jesus was simply referring to the results of preaching the gospel. Listen to the statement. The preaching of the gospel causes division, not because of the content. If ever the preaching of the gospel causes division because of the content, it's because of the person speaking. All these denominations that exist, that was not God's plan. All of these denominations, that was not God's plan. Somebody took the message of God and made it their own and created confusion. And I'll tell you why in a moment. The preaching of the gospel causes division, not because of the content, but because of the reception it receives. We all get what we want to get. With some people, when you preach about sin, they are convicted and they feel like a burden is lifted. Other people get offended. How could he say that? Who is he to talk about that? Division. And so we start to pick what we like in the Bible and what we don't like, and we separate each other. We look at the worship service. Oh, I like this kind of worship. I like that kind of worship. And we separate. The gospel is not the problem. We are the problem. So Jesus knew that the moment I come and talk about the gospel of the kingdom, people are going to be divided. And today families fall apart because you belong to this religion and someone belongs to that religion. Family relationships fall apart because somebody wants this from God and somebody else wants that from God. The church falls apart because somebody wants to do this and someone else wants to do that. God's got nothing to do with it. Chaos. Uh, uh, here's the last irony, I think. If there's another one, that would be ironic. Listen, God confused the language so they couldn't build the city and the tower. Today, the devil is confusing the language among God's people so they don't finish building the church and spread the truth. How does the devil do that? It's simple. He introduces words like liberal and conservative. I am a liberal Christian. I am a conservative Christian. Conservatives are going to heaven. Liberals are going to hell. But those words are not in the Bible. Jesus took the nature of Adam before the fall. Jesus took the nature of Adam after. And we argue about the theology of Jesus. But all I know is Jesus died for my sins. So the devil has created problems with us. One Saturday I forgot when I was greeting you guys. I forgot to say happy Sabbath. And I said good morning. By the door somebody said, Pastor, how come you didn't say happy Sabbath? Confusion. It's not good morning anymore. It's happy Sabbath. Happy Sunday. Happy working week. He succeeds too often. The devil succeeds too often. As much as God succeeded thousands of years ago, the devil is succeeding today. We are diverse, but we accept the same truth. But for some reason, we still don't get along. Why? Because our language is confused. The enemy has confused our language. If you're not religious enough, you're not holy. If you're too friendly and accept everybody, you're compromising. There's so much confusion in the language. 
And God says, I've got nothing to do with this. I'm done. The final irony. We work hard to move away from God. But God is working hard to get us to where he is. That's ironic. We're we are running. We're running from a God who loves us. We're doing our best to separate ourselves from him. We argue and debate about religious things. And God says, I just want you to be where I am. I want you to live the life I want you to live. I want you to be happy. And we're like, no, I want to do it my way. That's irony. What if we changed that irony today? What if we made the decision right now that instead of listening to each other, we'll start listening to God? What if we decided that God's word would be the decider of everything, not public opinion? What if we allowed our unity to be predicated upon the word of God? Who, who wants to join me in that idea? If you believe that God's way is the right way, let's be united and raise our hands. Very few hands, I love it. This is good. Because if everybody raises their hands, I get worried. Lord, I want to be part of the generation that says, I will only go with the flow if God is a part of it. I don't mind joining the majority, but let it be God's way. But if I find myself in a family, in a friendship, in a relationship, in anything that jeopardizes my work with God, if my spouse, my friend, my business partner starts to build a wall and starts to build a tower, it's time for me to leave.